Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on Off Tuckle Empire, Viva Illinois! Viva Minnesota! Viva Michigan! Viva la revolution! Today on Off Tuckle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, which is now a joint Iowa. Michigan joint, Michigan joint, a joint Iowa Michigan joint. So it's Oh, I played around with a few things on that front, to be honest. I think it's better I think I can do a decent Brandstatter impression, but I don't want to. Until. Such time as a contender emerges, which is going to have to settle for uh, only one of our of our uh, overlords here for the year being represented. So I bowed my knee to no overlord trophy case, bitch. <laughs> Everything Michigan wins, we place a transitive claim on. Hey, you know what? You may claim that Michigan had the breakthrough season this year. You may claim that Michigan State had the breakthrough season this year. Illinois won five games in one year. <laughs> Holy shit. So anyway, I'm Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumbsaurus. I'm with Andrew Kaczewski, and we've got a lot to talk about because it was Big Fat Rivalry Week. And it, it was also Kill Your Overlords Week, a number of upsetting of the apple cart type of moments in the Big Ten. Honestly, when I was putting this together, I didn't even know what game I should begin with. I think, you know... We're going to leave Michigan-Ohio State for last because that was the big national game, and it is the one with potential national title implications. But there were a lot of other surprise events in the Big Ten, a few compelling games, really only a couple of blowouts that were not entertaining in and of themselves. In other words, what we're saying is this podcast is just so thick and creamy that the only win fight tribe rooster of the week that would be appropriate is Andrew's home at Eggnog. I very much appreciate having some of I think it's all right. Um, I put enough bourbon in it that you should be able to get through even the notion of an Iowa-Michigan conference championship game. Oh, I was up in Traverse City looking at a, at a map of the area. Um, you have Traverse City, then you have Empire, and then, uh, you know, uh, Grand Haven. You know, that Grand Haven's a little farther south. That's way further south. That's way further south. I was thinking of something else then. Glen Arbor, that's what I was thinking. Ah, yeah. One of those G things and... And, uh, and then south of Traverse City is the city of Mesick. I'm sure it's not pronounced like that, but it's spelled like that. Mesick, I think is how it's pronounced. But it's spelled M-E-S-I-C-K. Yeah. Every time I saw Michigan, Iowa, Big Ten Championship game, watching football today, I thought back to that town. <laughs> Makes me sick. <laughs> I was... <laughs> Before I started doing other stuff as I usually do on Sunday afternoons, 
I was watching a few minutes of whatever NFL game. It might have been the Tampa Bay game, actually. And, but whoever it was, it was on... Is it, it, I don't remember. It's Fox or Steve, which It's Fox, right? That carries a Big Ten championship game. Yeah. So it was there was sort of a promo for that coming back from a commercial. And they were like, check out Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. And Iowa also snuck in there. Like, they used that <laughs> language. Like, wow. Somebody yes, let Iowa in here. How'd that happen? And yes, of course this matchup makes me vomit. Because it's literally any team that's not mine against literally any team that's not mine. And this ain't the SEC. <laughs> that's right. There's no... I mean, well, no, you know what? I'll, I'll say it this way. I Some been, matchups make me vomit less than others, yes. but they all make me vomit. I only would have thrown up in my mouth if, for example, Minnesota or Purdue had gone on us, because I think it's really cool mm, when, Minnesota. A, when a first time... Yeah, because just imagine, they would have given P.J. Fleck a 20-year contract for $9 million a year, and then next year they would have come right out and lost to Northern Iowa again or something, like that, because they wouldn't have taken the non-con seriously. And well, so the fans would have had heartburn for a month after that. Reportedly, Tanner Morgan is coming back for a sixth year, True. by the end of which he will be older than P.J. Fleck because he seems to be aging much <laughs> faster than P.J. Fleck. There's a non-zero chance that he is just P.J. Fleck's portrait of Dorian Gray in the form of his quarterback. <laughs> and so as as the time goes by and they continue to put out this, his, this hideous offensive product, P.J. Fleck becomes younger and Tanner Morgan older. And, you know, it's, that's a perfectly good spot. To start, we will begin with Paul Bunyan's and Zach. We're not really going in strict chronological Yes, Andrew, order. I would like to ask you some questions about why Wisconsin never bothered to make their offense a little more two-dimensional. I think it was because they had a stretch on the schedule where they could get away with not doing that. So when they get they went on the seven game winning streak and I think we as much as anyone kind of glossed like oh hey look you know it looks like they're kind of getting back to their old selves and they've got this bell cow running back even when Malusi got hurt it was like oh you know Braylon Allen looks like the dude the guy that they always have who carries their offense you know he's gonna get it thirty times a game and their passing game will do just enough right. And we didn't really look all that closely at the fact that even in those wins, their passing game wasn't even doing what it historically does, which is being a credible play-action threat, converting some third downs here and there, and taking a little bit of pressure off the run game. They, they didn't even become that. That being said, I mean, a uh, hell of a credit must be paid to Minnesota for neutralizing the Wisconsin rushing game because... Uh, a lot of people with supposedly pretty good defenses have been unable to do that uh, in their in their stretch of winning. Yeah, for sure. And Joe Rossi, since he was hired, has been quietly one of the better assistants in the Big Ten. Yet to wonder if at some point he's the next guy that somebody like Penn State is like, oh, oh, we we want him, and then they take him, and after a year they're like, I don't want this anymore. It doesn't. I don't want it, and they fire that guy. <laughs> <laughs> they did with Minnesota's last offensive yeah, coordinator. Sure. Yeah, and, I wonder and what he's doing these days. I don't know. I thought I saw that he had resurfaced somewhere. It for some reason Texas A and M is coming up, but not as a coordinator, as like an analyst or quality control guy. Or West something. Virginia. Yeah, one of the yeah one of them one of them schools. Uh, so anyway, yeah, very much credit deserved to the Minnesota defense, which has again it vastly improved over where they were last year and certainly the year before that. And, man, I've been banging the drum basically since the offseason that Wisconsin 
needed to put better weapons around Graham Mertz. They didn't do it. They're running back the same crew of wide receivers they've had five years now, some of these guys, who don't get separation, who drop the ball a lot in key moments, who occasionally will make a big play. But if you throw a wide receiver enough balls, you would hope that some of them stick to their gloves. Like Sometimes experience makes for a really, really high floor of your performance. Sometimes you get dudes that aren't great, five, four years of experience, and they just continue to be not great. Yeah, and that, that very much seems to be what the case is here. And I meant to go back and take a look and see if there's like any plausible solution coming in the recruiting pipeline, but of course there isn't, because even when Wisconsin does get good recruits, they're all offensive and defensive linemen, and that serves them well most of the time. Like Again, they still won eight games this year. Tackle-eligible plays are, are maybe going to be a, a thing that they lean on a little more. Look at get, earlier in the season, it was like, you know, they've got to still, like, Chris was the offensive coordinator on those teams that ran the barge. Like, why are they not considering that, honestly? So... You've got a quarterback in Grammarts who has fallen well short of the expectations that were placed on him. A crew of offensive weapons around him that did not ever raise their ceiling at all. And this is what you get. You get a team that does not score an offensive touchdown in a West Division championship game as far as you're concerned. I know Minnesota wasn't playing for it. But also a rivalry game. A rivalry game in a series that you have absolutely dominated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, P.J. Fleck did get a win in this series two years ago. Uh, but in the best season for Minnesota in a generation, Wisconsin still won the axe and went to the Big Ten title game. Yeah, I, I, I got, I'm, I'm wondering if there might be bigger picture issues here. We wondered this about Wisconsin a little bit last year. It's like, man, this passing game, like it, it, it's never been great, except for the Russell Wilson season. It's really never been great. But as, as we mentioned a minute ago, it's usually got some kind of functionality. It really doesn't seem to have that. Even when they were winning, they're passing for like 100 yards in a game, and they weren't blowing teams out. Well, I mean, the yardage in this game was very close. The uh, A lot of the stats were very, very similar. Uh, you know, your, your yardage both in passing and rushing and also in average were very similar for both teams. But, you know, key differences are you have things like Wisconsin's 15-play, 85-yard field goal drive. Well, so when you say difference, though, I think the one you're referring to is right at the beginning of the game, right? Because the, yeah. first, the first two drives in this game, each team had one drive combined for 29 plays that took over 17 minutes off the clock. And then there's a, there's a later drive in the game, and this was in the second half. An 11-play, 86-yard drive. Wait, is that... Or is that a 66-yard? No. 66-yard drive for a field goal. Like, at the end of the day, that's kind of the issue, that's kind of the issue here is Minnesota scored when they got near the end zone and Wisconsin didn't. Or they punched it in. Yeah, and Minnesota was helped a little bit. So, again, this is not a high-volume, high-explosiveness passing attack, but they were able to get a few more chunk plays through the air by finally utilizing their tight ends. And this was what I assumed they were going to be getting with Mike Sanford when they hired him, because he came over from Notre Dame, which always has at least one great tight end, sometimes two at the same time. I assumed that that meant that guys like Brevin Spanford and Cole Keith were going to be much bigger parts of the offense. We haven't really seen that until the last game or two, and maybe this means that going forward they're able to utilize those guys, although I consulted our white speed receiver about this, and it doesn't sound like they're going to have either of those guys next year necessarily. 
So you're going to have to bring the next tight ends along in the pipeline. But it'll having Tanner Morgan back gives you some continuity. Uh, they also, Mo Ibrahim announced he's going to come back for another season next year, which I guess I understand. Uh, I think you have to prove durability at this point, but as a running back, that's really tough to do. Hopefully he's yeah, a big. It's season. a big gamble because... It is, but it, if he went to the draft this year after missing an entire season with injury, what is he, a fifth-round pick at best? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, there's definitely a lot of return that you can get, but, yeah, you know, one one more injury and you risk not being drafted at all. True, yeah. But the other thing, I mean, I'm trying to remember if this was even this year or if it was last year when he got pulled in a couple games after, well, I haven't really happened much last there have been indications that he is a very positive presence in the running back room coaching the other guys. I, don't, I still don't remember if that was early this year or if it was at some point. I think it was this year after he had the injury. But in either case, you know, yeah, the NFL, he's going to have to come back and prove durability. And if, So you'd and say that their running back room is of different dimensions than Nebraska's running back room? Yeah. But just when you say running back room, <laughs> it reminds me of Scott Frost. I don't know if it was just that he'd reached the end of his fucks to give or if he just still had a little bit of humor left in him but he was asked what the running back room looks like and he said in a press conference and he immediately <laughs> just said well it's about an eighth the size of this one and it has pictures of former Nebraska running backs on the walls was it him or was it one of his assistants no it was him it was, it was him it was the man himself <laughs> yeah I, I appreciate that I, honestly like that's the kind of thing that endears that endears you to people. Like if you like, that's what humor is, Scott. It's not why the fuck we gotta play Indiana. It's some bullshit, and then you lose to Indiana. Like that's not funny. I mean, it's funny to us, but it's not funny to your audience. Is this so? Wait, is this kind of like uh, the arc in BoJack Horseman, where like he finally got acting down once he just became too depressed to care about acting? <laughs> <laughs> he finally became a serious actor once he became too depressed to try. I Well, look, Jim Harbaugh finally had to actually work for his paycheck, and he put together the best season they've had there in 15 damn near 20 years. But anyway, Wisconsin-Minnesota, if yeah. you want to really know what the key stat to this game was, it's passing attempts. Minnesota had 16. Wisconsin had 38. This is the Big Ten. Purdue's not involved. Minnesota wins. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> Whoever can pass the ball less generally wins these games. Yeah, to a, a, a jarring extent. And we mentioned Scott Frost, so we'll get into the Black Friday Heroes Cop Troops Memorial game featuring local heroes. Iowa the 20. only thing that we got wrong was the score, but... Not by much. By I, very little. I, by very little. We got 20-something, so 20-something, one possession game yeah. with Nebraska with a chance to, to do the hero drive. I mean... I don't remember if you joined me in my score prediction or if you were just like, yeah, that sounds right. But I, I called this game Iowa 27, Nebraska 24. I missed my four total points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it just was it was so perfectly Scott Frost, Nebraska. I mean. It was also perfectly Kirk Ferentz, Iowa. Though, it was, because it was you, also, it was, it was just because they you, had a, a new quarterback in the game. They ran a lot more of this option pitch stuff. It was pretty fun to watch in the first in the early going. When it was working, yeah. When it was working. And the thing is, if you were to look at the score of this game just on the bottom line, having not watched it, you think, oh, it must have been a pretty typical game. Look at the Iowa offense out here against a very solid defense, just getting four touchdowns on the Oh, nope, hang on. That's actually four field goals and a safety and a block punt touchdown to go along with one offensive touchdown. 
wearing the trench coat of 28 points like a bunch of kids stacked on top of each other <laughs> trying to get into an R-rated movie, which they did. They're down the Big Ten Championship game, and people will look at this game and think that they scored four touchdowns on a pretty good defense. Yeah, that's a PG-13 rated movie, though. <laughs> um, Iowa did outgain Nebraska in total yards, though. However, yeah, all that scoring was done in the most Iowa possible way. And the other thing was the sequence of the scoring was such that Nebraska led 21-6 to and then allowed 22 straight points, but that was on five different scores. <laughs> yeah, including 19 nothing in the fourth quarter, I believe. I, I just... So, I almost don't know which angle, because so, you've got Iowa backing into the Big Ten title game, thanks to Minnesota, and they can probably now look forward to lengthy extension, extensions for all their staffers, including offensive coordinator for life, Brian Ferentz. Congratulations, Hawkeyes! Merry Christmas! Whereas on the Nebraska side of things, we're out of things to say about it. Like, every week we think, man, they can't possibly do this again. Can they? And, yep, they, they sure can. No, you know what, by, by this... By the time it came time to predict this game, I, I didn't have that question anymore. I knew they were going to do it. Yeah. It's rare it, that there's anything in football this predictable. And I don't get, when we get into the slack on game days, I don't understand how anyone else expects anything different. Because the game will start, and it's close, and the fans of whatever team Iowa is pl- or Nebraska is playing that week will be like, oh man, oh geez, I can't believe like, we're going to lose to Nebraska. And I, How did and the Nebraska see this coming? And the Nebraska people, BRT and Jesse, are, are in there like, Nah, man, you ain't even know what this shit is. We know how this is gonna go, and the other and the other fan base argues with them. And I've, I've have like, you literally like, ever watched Nebraska for like the last month now? I've been like, no, they're like the Nebraska people are right. You guys don't know what you're talking about, and they're like, no, our team, our team sucks more, and they're wrong every week. I thought like basically after the after the Illinois bye week before Penn State. Nebraska fans surpassed me as having the best handle on their team because, you know, our fortunes changed and theirs did not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, man, I, they are, they settled, they, they punted this game out the window as far as mattering goes by deciding to bring Frost back before it happened anyway. Uh, he cut loose his but, entire uh, offensive staff. I don't know what, I mean, and then you get like, it's the same thing. You, you've just <laughs> taken a look at what your next quarterback is and, oh yeah, there's the same I mean, that interception he threw was just abominable. There wasn't a Nebraska player in the frame when you watched it live. Here, here like I, I, I had to back it up and show it to to our friend that was with us that was also really into football, saying like, "Here it is. Here they they've given up a big lead, and now here is the hero drive as the game ends, and this is the throw." <laughs> yeah, so Smothers throws it to the end zone from what probably like 20, 25 yards out. Levi Falk, the intended receiver, breaks off the route. And it's like, you know, between the redshirt freshman making his first career start and the sixth-year transfer from South Dakota State, I believe, or maybe one of the Dakotas, I think I know who fucked up here. Um, so it's just... It, it, it's, you know... I, holy shit. So... Because there was enough time. I was, ex- there was, I was, enough time I was expressing yeah. that noise. You heard the exasperation in watching this. I can't, like... I don't like Nebraska, but I can't stand... To keep watching them every week, it makes me want to gouge my eyes out. I'm not even a, I'm not a Nebraska fan, and I just can't stand to watch this team. And you know what other team I say this about? The Detroit Lions. <laughs> That's seriously exactly how I feel about it because, like, I don't like like the Lions, but I always find myself watching them, thinking, "Come on, 
Can't you get this one? Well, you watch them because they're so on, close. You watch Come them on, because they're they're on here every week. Because yeah. in the NFL, you are tied <laughs> to whatever happens. Come to on, Lions! You got this situation. How 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 do you take this situation and not win? Come on, just just, just get one. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm a, you've got me comparing the Nebraska Cornhuskers to the Detroit Lions. By you, I mean Scott Frost. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I mean. Basically, what happened with Iowa this year is that they they fucked up the least. Yeah, and well, but you know, and you mentioned before we before we started recording, even this even getting to the West Championship and the title, conference title game, we have not seen that performance this year from Iowa where it's like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah, we haven't seen a performance where Iowa looks good. Like, <laughs> and there's there's at least there's usually one a game where suddenly it's like, wait a minute, is Iowa good? Now they're ten and two, and they have a good defense. Are they a good team? They haven't looked like a complete team in any game that they've played. So, if I were a Michigan fan, I'd be. I'd nervous. be a little nervous. Yeah, I, I still don't think I was gonna. I'm win a Michigan that fan. Game, I'm but... playing with house money right now. I'm not sure how I can possibly be sad. Oh hell anymore no! No, this no, no, year. no, 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 no! It's no, no, no. longer I, possible. I disagree with that out of hand, but. Okay, I guess I just don't know what it's like. Yeah, about, about all that you could say is, well, if you go back, maybe you view that season opener against Indiana as the, oh, wow, was Iowa good thing? I uh, don't know about that, because it very it, it aged like that eggnog would if I hadn't put about a cup and a half of liquor in it. So, Well, I mean, you know, I, I guess I could say that I haven't been there, but I, I haven't quite been there recently, because it's not like in order to get to the Big Ten Championship game, or like the national title, Michigan is going to have to play like the best team in the OVC. True. I do think that regardless of what happens in the title game, that win over Ohio State will tide Michigan fans over just fine. And this whole this season as a whole, I think they can do the success whatever happens now. But there's, it's all there, man. It's all there. But anyway, we got to get to talking about teams for whom nothing is there anymore. Indiana 7, Purdue 44, and that's not, we're not talking about them when we say that. If there's any silver lining for Indiana, it is that this game at the end of this season was enough to get offensive coordinator Nick Sheridan fired. We expressed some concern starting basically like a month, month and a half ago that Tom Allen came off as a guy who might not be willing to accept that things needed to change. This shows that he is, that he that he's not that guy. Yep, and, you know, remember Jeff Brom saved what seemed to be a ship that was beginning to take on some water by jettisoning his poorly chosen offensive or defensive coordinator after one year. Yeah. Um, Sheridan got two, but, I mean, that did include last season, which, you know, who knows if that counts. Yeah, and what else can you say about the year Indiana's had? The most Indiana part of all of this is that as Indiana went 2-10 and ten and lost every Big Ten game... Nobody was paying attention because here was Nebraska over here flailing around <laughs> to get to three and nine, yeah. one and eight in the Big Ten yeah. with a perfectly even point margin of points allowed versus points scored. Yeah, so they, they didn't even do the most beautiful flailing. No, like nobody even like, nobody even knows about Indiana right now. No, so Nebraska and they actually had the worst season. Yeah, Nebraska is the Hindenburg bursting into flame while everybody watches. Indiana is the Zeppelin that crashed into the ocean a mile from shore and nobody even saw it. Like, everybody died in that. Somebody might have successfully escaped from the flaming Hindenburg, but nobody survived the Indiana. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, Purdue is 8-4. and four. Yeah, and it's a perfect capper to a nice confidence-building year for Brom, 
who, as you mentioned, needed to kind of restart the momentum. It was a bit of a prove it year. Not like prove it or get fired, but like prove it or maybe we just kind of accept that uh, Detroit is our ceiling. Yeah, and so they've certainly got, they've boosted a little higher than that. It's going to be interesting to see because they they've got a number of guys they're going to be losing. I it they the way they covered this game made it sound like Aiden O'Connell's not coming back next year. You assume Bell and Karloftis are going pro. They could have a couple. I, Marvin Grant could go pro. They have a few guys that they're going to be losing, and they've not had the kind of recruiting the last couple of years that they did before that because again all their young recruits have been playing. So they are going to have to reload and rebuild in a few places next year. You'd like to see them improve their offensive line so that their quarterbacks can stay healthy more reliably and they can run the ball a little better. But this was still very much a a prove-it year that I think you can check the boxes. I mean, you know, always feels good to absolutely drub a rival in a game of this magnitude even when they're shitty because, you know, if you're Purdue, if you're Purdue and you're trying to prove that you're a a good Big Ten team. You can't lose. Does can't or lose. does not a good Big Ten team absolutely thump a two-win Indiana? Yeah, you can't. You can't lose this game certainly, or win it close and still feel as good about where you were. Yeah, it's it's important. And so now the question is going to be, and we'll get into this in the preview episode. Well, no, we'll do it at the end of this episode a bit, which is kind of what? How do we eyeball the bowl projections right now? Of course, things will change depending on the conference championship game results, but they're in a tier now, three teams in the West that are eight and four, them, Wisconsin, Minnesota. They're all going to be behind that top tier Big Ten teams, but still a decent game available here. Now, Absolutely. Then. Now, of course, at this point, 83 of the 82 bowl spots are, uh, are filled with six-win teams because everybody just got two six-wins, of course. One of the other funny uh, oddities that's happening is now that that's happened, uh, neither USC nor Cal can go to a bowl at 5-7. and seven. Even if the Pac-12 did accept <laughs> five-win bowl bids, which they do not, yet they are still playing each other uh, at 11 p.m. Eastern kickoff. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to stay up for it. I'd like to stay up for it. I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I talk a big game now. It's going to come 10.30 Friday. It's, Friday night, or are they playing Saturday? They're playing Saturday. Uh, but I, it'll come 10.30 Saturday night, and I'm like, I'm going to bed. I'm not staying up for shit. So, uh, so now now the question is, as we sit here a full 24 hours and change after the game is over, is it starting to enter your mind that Illinois might not get blown out by Northwestern in the 2021 wall hat? I am beginning to believe that it is possible that they escape this game with victory. Uh, I asked them to prove it to me, and they totally did. Uh, it, the, the game looked a lot in practice like it did on paper, which is just not something that I'm used to seeing when Illinois <laughs> is a favorite. Especially, okay, Illinois especially being a favorite in a Big yes. Ten game is just, it's just as long as I've really been following them, been a, well, really since, since, since all the Zook talent left, has been a death sentence. Yeah. Okay. I remember both losses to Daryl Hazel. I remember the loss to Chris Ash. I remember the loss to Rutgers earlier this year, which looks worse and worse by the day. So when I see that by kickoff they're a touchdown favorite, sure, I'm terrified. Whatever. Look at it this way: if before the season started, or hell, even a month in, because I remember some of the takes you had on this program, which was, "Oh, we're just going. It's just a counting down till we fire Bielema." And I'm not saying that those takes were unfounded, but given where your mindset was even earlier this year, 
if you could look forward to the end of the season and say that, man, I'm looking back at some of these losses, not as, you know, piles on the, on the log, on the Lincoln log house of misery, but things that stopped like each of those single losses stopped us from going to a bowl game. Like that has to be, he's not going to win it because I think Mel Tucker is going to, and if he is it, well, what am I saying? I'm going to give coach, coach you to Harbaugh and it's not going to be close. Um, but Look, it's it's not it's not on thing like I could lay this out in more detail if I were asked, but we're potentially a you know a real big like a replacement level Big Ten quarterback from being nine and three right now, um, because so many of the plays that they drew up against Iowa while trailing by four were there and just were not hit. Yeah, but even if you take that one out, I mean UTSA, Purdue, Maryland quarterback had receivers open for game tying or winning touchdowns and just never saw him. Um, but again, that's just incredible to th- like the reason I'm not even that upset about that is because eight and four Illinois is not something I can wrap my head around as being like <laughs> real, you know? And like, okay, so we're not going to go to a bowl game. Oh, okay, cool. It's going to be my normal holidays. Like, yeah, whatever, man. Two chances I've had have been, uh, since I graduated, have uh, you know, ten seasons have been in Dallas at noon the day after Christmas against Louisiana <laughs> Tech. Yeah, and then in Santa Clara. Yeah, and you know, in in this week's Sunday morning coming down, I concluded with kind of this reminiscent thought. Well, I'll, I'll we'll circle back to that in a second. Actually, you know, what, we'll we'll jump ahead to that, and I'll I'll tie this in if I can. So I I, I do want to just give a lot of credit to Ryan Walters for. Um, shutting down a balanced but shitty offense, making Pat Fitzgerald give up on his starting quarterback after two drives, and then up 40-7, to blitzing the corner (laughs) with Northwestern deep in their own territory for a devastating sack. I I described it on Champagne Room Twitter as a giga-chad move. (laughs) Um, Because it's just so nice to see that the staff really cares about winning this game. They get, yeah. I mean, this was the best Il- the game that Illinois played this season. If they're going to play their best game of the season, I want it to be for a trophy. They scored 40... By the end of the first half, they'd scored the most points they'd scored in a game this year, uh, which is just, just incredible. They led 28-0 at one point and really just completely dominated in all phases of this game. Uh, even... They even went so far as to kick like four field goals, like just they, they, they out, they, points they, on points on points. And, you know, we, I guess we'd be remiss not to address this from the Northwestern perspective here. So by virtue of the tiebreaker against Nebraska, they finished last in the Big Ten West, not last overall in the conference because Indiana went winless. But at three and nine, this this has a little bit different of a feel than the down year Two years ago, correct? Yes, because they they got their ass kicked by losing teams. They, they got they, completely incinerated by Nebraska and Illinois. Nebraska, of course, a much better losing team than Illinois, but with a much worse record. And yeah, Illinois, one yeah. of the worst offenses in the conference. Uh, and there's also, there's no part of this team, that, of this coaching staff in particular, that is proven right now. I Two mean, years ago, they still had Mike Hankwitz. Yes. You knew you'd be able to rely on to put a really good defense out there. And I did not think, given Pat Fitzgerald's kind of background in defense, that it would be a big transition. But it kind of has been because 
Northwestern has been content to sit in their base defense like Lovey Smith and yeah. not really adjust to anything, which led to Brandon Peters just, you know, throwing it like Drew Brees. Like, they got, they allowed like damn near 200 yards of passing to the Illini passing attack in the first half. And I guess you can say that the defense is the biggest problem because it's been such an important part of their identity. Like, really... Aside from a couple of the Clayton Thorson years, their offense generally hasn't been that good. And yeah, they had some times back with Kane Coulter and you know, Bassin Ambache, if you want to go back further than that, where they could throw it around, but it was mostly because they just ran a different system than everybody else did. Yeah, and the thing is with Northwestern and quarterbacks is that, uh, and actually this was actually brought up on the broadcast when they, they uh, contrasted the quarterback play in the down years to the other ones. And yeah. They're so, because... Of how we always describe them as a program that likes to make you play a stupid game and beat you with experience. It's so important that they have a quarterback that is extremely efficient and doesn't turn it over. Um, they don't have that. That is not what they have. <laughs> they have, yeah, they have three guys in that position who I believe all have eligibility left. And I, the, the guy who seems most likely to be the answer is Hunter Johnson because he's the guy who's played the least. Like I think we've seen enough from Andrew Marty and Ryan Holinsky to know that neither of them is going to take Northwestern back to the highs they've had the last few years. And that doesn't mean that Johnson's especially likely, but he at least has the physical talent where you could see there's a ceiling there. His floor, well, his floor is pretty low. Oh, because none of these guys look as good as Clayton Thorson looked his freshman year, and Clayton Thorson looked miserable his freshman year. Yeah. So, for, yeah, for Northwestern, there's a lot of cause for concern. Generally, you, of course, give a coach like Pat Fitzgerald that's had such a consistent winning team an awful lot of leash. But, boy, I don't know how much patience you can have for this new defensive coordinator because, again, like, they just didn't... It, it, it was the kind of thing that leads you to wonder if they're even bothering watching game film of their opponents or they're just yeah. saying, we're going to run our thing. You know, Regardless of whether that works or not, yeah, it's it's it it was it was very predictable, and again, bad offenses were able to put up yards and points on them. And this is the downside of having a guy that you know is your program's. That it, it, there's there are benefits to having a guy like Pat Fitzgerald in terms of you know this guy is going to be here that he's here as long as he wants to be, and really he's probably not looking at other jobs. They might come calling occasionally. But you know he's well, a program his, wants, it, right? That's not what his agent says, but... Well, sure, because you want the more money, and it's the Ryan family paying for it, so who cares? His agent but... says he wants to go get screamed at by Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I can't believe anybody actually believed that. Yeah, I don't know. If you're Pat Fitzgerald, you really want to leave a lifetime gig at Northwestern making... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply private school dollars um to go and get fired in a year and a half by some NFL team <laughs> like I don't think that makes any sense at all but whatever um the thing I was getting at was the downside to this is if you're in Northwestern's athletic department say you're a I don't even know who their athletic director is now that Phillips left but whoever that guy is say you want to apply some pressure to Pat Fitzgerald after this season you've got boosters grumbling and you want him to make some changes 
How? What What are you going to say to him? What are you going to say to Pat Fitzgerald? Like, you know, I think we need to take a look at the coordinators and maybe change things up. Like, does Fitzgerald even, like, take your phone call? <laughs> he doesn't have to. He certainly doesn't <laughs> oh, have to. Oh, if he weren't so anti-phone, I could see it being a thing where he's just on his phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great, Chief. Yeah, all those things. Yeah. Um, no, he's probably he'll probably just like put the newspaper up in front of himself loudly, like with a snap. Like he's not. He's disengaged. I'm sure I'll be made to regret to regret saying this, but boy, this game seems a bit like two ships passing in the night because for Illinois, suddenly you know, with this last data point, especially a big time monkey off the back of this program, yeah, it seems like better things might be possible. We competed in nine of twelve games. And one of the non-competitive games was a blowout in our favor for a trophy. For Northwestern, it kind of seems like worse things might be possible. Not than this year, but then, you know, we're going then, to two yeah, Big Ten title games in three years. Then where they've come from, yeah. Yeah. It, there's, there's, given what we saw this year, it, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, they, I don't think they really had terrible injuries, did they? Like, as far as I remember? Not really. I mean, I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, at the running back position, they've they've seemed to have an awful lot of things go wrong. I don't even remember because because if I tried to remember exactly which running back either left or had a season-ending injury, I would I would probably have thought of like last year. So I don't they, know. yeah, they've done fine with that though. I mean, you know, Bowser goes down, they go to Drake Anderson and, and so on and so forth. Evan Hull looked fine this year. They got decent contributions from uh, from Andrew Clare and from Tyus, the freshman. I I, can, I I I feel. I feel really bad right now because I know that they did, in fact, have a running back get a season-ending injury before the year started. That was supposed to be their bell cow, but I don't remember who it is. Oh, Porter. Yes. Um, sure. But again, like it's not like that. the production in that position suffered. I think Evan Hull is just fine. Yeah. A big time they do back, seem so. to continuously pull running backs out of their ass. Uh, but, look, it, yeah, it, it's very possible that this... Because you know Fitzgerald is the kind of guy... Who knows better than anyone who would suggest otherwise? Notwithstanding the results of this full season, because I think what he's going to say is, "Well, two years ago it looked like we were dead in the water, and we put everything together because I know what I'm doing." That's going to be the kind of the result. And you, I mean, the way he treats the media when things are going well, I'll tell you that now that things are not, he's he's not going to be. He's not going. I personally think the problem was that they beat Ohio this year after Ohio had lost to a. Uh a formerly D2 school. If they'd lost to Ohio, then they probably would have gone and challenged for the title. Yeah. They just... that That's what you get, Pat Fitzgerald, for not sticking to the script. So. Anyway, hat. Yeah. <laughs> for the first time on this podcast, hat. Fun to, <laughs> fun to say, is it? Uh, speaking God, of... Our, our last set of uniforms were in their first year the last time we won the hat. Was it 2014? 14, that yeah. Point, yeah. Yeah, that's been, shit, man, that's been a while. And it's not like Northwestern's been a world beater that whole time. Like, they've been pretty good for most of that stretch, but, yeah. No, that's that's kind of, that's a good feeling. It, again, sooner or later, you will accept that win Illinois oh in games that have taken place while I have been at really good wineries. <laughs> we'll turn now to the eligibility bill. Maryland 40, Rutgers 16. I have no idea in hindsight why I picked Rutgers to win this game. Because I know why I did. Because I really thought that the that what I perceived as a coaching advantage would would kind of press itself as Mike Loxley continued to flail. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also because I think Rutgers is better than they actually are because 
uh, they beat us on the road. True, true, true. true. And that seems way more like an outlier. And I think, yeah, I think what we o- I think what we overlooked is that Maryland has a huge talent advantage in this matchup, and those are the games that Loxley wins. Yeah. Um, I will say that Shiano and Rutgers did, I think, take a step forward in a lot of ways this season, but not quite the same. Like they didn't have the improvement from year one to two. Like that differential was much smaller than the difference between where they were and where we, they we thought they would be. Yeah, but one, they are right? still a Big Ten team, right? Like yeah. they, yeah, they competed with you know they they made Michigan sweat a lot. They yeah went five. I mean, they had a shot to go bowling coming into the very last week of the year. Right, the two and seven in conference. I mean, uh, then they did all this without, like, ceasing to be funny, because, boy, only Rutgers would trail 20-2 to two as a result of... Uh, as a result of a safety on a return extra point. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's pure Rutgers. Yeah, man. That's great. It's, again, like, you know, I just think Rutgers, like, some very funny things happen in Rutgers games. They do, they do. It, here's something from a big picture perspective, though, which is... Although they have improved a lot of things, they are not talented enough to follow kind of the Minnesota Big Ten West blueprint of never throwing the ball, relying on their run game. Yet. They're in the East Division, though. And so when you if you want to say, well, they've got a good recruiting class coming in, good is a relative thing in recruiting. It's not as good as any of the four teams in the top of the conference right now, in the top of the division right now. It's not even going to be enough to close the gap with Maryland. So if you want to say, hey, this improved talent will let them jump over Indiana, Indiana's got a good class coming in next year. A higher group of talent is not going to let them run the ball and throw it 15 times against Michigan or Ohio State and even be competitive, let alone win. It is still like you're you're at least in like a heated vestibule instead of out in the cold. You're not actually like in the restaurant yet, but at <laughs> sure. least you're, you know, yeah, I mean, at least you're not out in the cold sure, in the desert. But I mean, it's it's seven forty five on a Friday night. You haven't eaten since lunch. And you've been holding that buzzer for forty five minutes, and there's <laughs> you have not seen anyone come out of the. Nobody's coming out of the restaurant in the Big Ten East. Is my point. Nobody's gonna make it easier for you. The winds are gonna have to come from somewhere, but yeah, um, yeah. So, and by my point with that is they gotta figure out their passing offense. They yeah. have to get better talent. I know that they think they've got their guy of the future in Gavin Wimsap, but the problem is, what did they let him throw it 10 times this season? Like, they burned a year of his eligibility, but they didn't really let him play quarterback. Yeah, and you you got to get some uh, you got to get some more weapons for him and got to prove that you can, you know, protect him and not uh, not have to use him as a running back. Yeah, you 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 and I understand why they probably want to use him in limited circumstances, which is you don't want to do what Indiana did with Donovan McCauley. <laughs> that makes perfect you know, sense. And what else I thought, the reason I thought that Rutgers would have a chance in this game is because I thought that they could, uh, you know, Maryland's offense somewhat one-dimensional, albeit in a different way than a lot of Big Ten offenses are. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, just the way that, that Chiano has, has coached some of these specific matchups, they could somewhat, somewhat limit that. Nope. It rang up nearly 600 yards. Yeah, and they Maryland did get their running game back involved here. Tam Fleet Davis had a big day. So it's a good look. It's a good step for them. They get to their first bowl, I think, since twenty sixteen or thereabouts. Uh, based on the pecking order, they will probably get the guaranteed rate bowl, which actually saw a number of 
projections that they could get a rematch with West Virginia in that game, which would be oh, that'd be very interesting. Strange, but it was a very you remember that was that, that was a game we watched at my bachelor party, and it was very entertaining actually. So it was indeed. It um, was indeed. I mean, for Rutgers, you just gotta continue to enjoy the fact that you have Valentino Ambrosio as your kicker. I mean, God, you always gotta have a super Rutgers name on that <laughs> roster. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I do love that about Rutgers. They've always got a very Rutgers name. So, Somewhere in an important position on that roster. All right. So we turn now to George Perlis's bowling trophy, a.k.a. the land grant. <laughs> Penn State 27, Michigan 30. Didn't James Franklin have some quotes about the trophy uh, before or after the game? Probably yeah. at some point. I think he, I think he's made clear that he really doesn't care for it. And it's like, okay, hand it over. <laughs> so, wait, you uh, went to this game. I did go to this game, and I'm happy that I did. My mom talked me into it. We've, got, we've gone to Thanksgiving weekend MSU games on a few occasions and we usually end up having a good time. I was kind of sulking a little bit last week after the Ohio State result and I was going, eh, I really want to. And the way, it was always supposed to be cold, but as the week went on, the forecast chance for snow got higher and higher. And I was like, hey, you know, the last snow game I went to was the road game at Nebraska in 2018, which was a miserable experience, but I don't have to drive 22 hours round trip to get to this one. So why don't we do it? The ticket prices fell enough. I was like, yeah, let's do it. I took mom and my sister and my cousin. We went. Uh, it snowed the whole time. It was great. I mean, cold. Don't get me wrong. Quite cold. But both teams actually threw it pretty well despite the conditions. I mean, MSU got the ball first and marched down the field and <laughs> scored right away. Forced the three and out and took a 14 nothing lead. I was like, oh, man, this might be a blowout. But then MSU's pass defense did their thing and <laughs> gave Penn State you know, tie game right back after that. So it's a competitive back and forth game. Uh, kicking was miserable. <laughs> Both teams missed an extra point. Penn State also missed a chip shot field goal and what ended up being a three point game. I don't understand Penn State's offensive approach in this game where anytime they threw, I think they might've had one incompletion on a target for Jahan Dotson. They should have tar- thrown him the ball 15, 17, 20 times. They should have David Belled it. Yeah, and they they just didn't after a while. You know, MSU is still cycling through corners. Like, they've got supposedly something like 15 or 20 players out with the flu, although a lot of their guys were in there. But they were missing a couple of big pieces. And it's still, like, they made it work. Like, they held up when they needed to. Against a lesser defense, I do think Kenneth Walker would have had about 300 yards in this game because there are multiple times where he broke into the clear. It's like, oh, there we go. Oh, no, Penn State caught him. <laughs> so he yeah. still got a few chunk pieces, but it was just the defense that had the athletes to track him down. Oh, man. I didn't put this in the outline, but the funny thing. So I had seats in the south end zone about halfway up, and a few rows behind me, starting a like, late second, sometime around halftime, this guy was trying to do some heckling. But understand, he's way too far away. There's no way the players hear him. But he just kept yelling, Number one, Penn State! He's trying, like, he picked a Penn State player, and he's trying to get his attention, (laughs) and he's shouting at him. And the way he was doing it was he just yelled, Number one, Penn State! Penn State, number one! Yeah, and I'm just like... And so I'm just sitting there staring in the space, and I, like, exchange looks at my mom, and she's like, I don't know. And so I'm just looking at... I kept glancing back at this guy... And, like, he, and then you he, want to get him a foam finger? Well, then he eventually <laughs> modified it to number one's horrible throw at him. And I'm like, number one is Jaquan Brisker, who's like an all-American caliber safety. He's going to be a first-round pick. I'm like, 
not only have you picked a guy at random, but you've picked probably, like, arguably the best player on their defense, and, and like, he can't, he, like, you're just annoying the shit out of me. Like, that's all you're doing is you're heckling me. Yeah, see, <laughs> see, 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 we as hecklers tend to, tend to pick on somebody who's actually being a defensive liability, or, or if they're not, or if we really feel the need to, somebody that's really, you know, making a difference against our team, we will make fun of their appearance or their name. Yeah, but it's like... Only when they're near us, though. Right. It, 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 he's too far away to hear you. He's wearing a helmet, so you don't know what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, it was it was bizarre. Other thing was, do you watch what we always what we do in the shadows? No. You should. It's a really good show. But there was a guy right behind me, and this will be, again, with, given our audience size, I would project that something like 10 to 15 people will know what I'm talking about. But there was a guy in the seat right behind us who sounded for all the world like Colin Robinson, the energy vampire. So, the whole concept of that is, in addition to normal vampires, there is an energy vampire in the house they all live in who drains people's energy by being very boring. You, I, you really gotta watch this show. <laughs> but anyway, he, has, he just has this particular cadence that it, it's very well done. And this guy behind us was there with his wife and teenage kids. And he comes back at one point, and I just hear him, he starts saying, he's like, well, gosh, what happened here? I, you know, I got up and I went to go to the bathroom and then I come back to find that Penn State has scored a touchdown and they're lining up to kick an extra point. Uh, what, what what did we miss? What happened? Are you telling me <laughs> that they actually executed an energy and enthusiasm vampire more accurately than the greatest Iowa Hawkeyes football fan who has never once missed his bedtime? There are strong parallels between the energy vampires as portrayed in what we do in the shadows and our Iowa commentary. But anyway, this guy and this guy was in the row right behind me. So <laughs> I, I wanted to tell my mom about this because she's a big fan of the show too. But I'm like, I man, it's like it because of the snow game, you know how it gets really quiet when it's snowing outside? Yeah. So snow over commercial commercial breaks and stuff, when there's no cheers going on, the PA is kind of dead for a second. It was too quiet. I'm like, I can't lean over and tell her this because she'll bust out laughing. Uh, so, yeah, that was just it. The things you see. But, uh, yeah, so it. what I was getting at that was it was actually a really good crowd considering, you know, we're not really playing for anything but bowl position. It's the weekend after a holiday. I wouldn't have guessed there'd be many students even there. But stadium was probably 80% full or better. It was, it was pretty into it. It was, again, a really good game to watch. Um you know, after game's over, Michigan State's guys are celebrating, you know, doing slides in the snow, making snow angels and stuff. The things you see in snow games. Mm, so it was considering a 9-2 and two team ranked in the teens, not a terrible crowd, huh? Well, <laughs> right. But like I said, it um, it's not like we're playing to go to the conference title game or a playoff or anything like that. And the, most of the crowd, I would imagine, still remembers when those were the things that we were playing for. So here, here, here it is. It's from last year, actually, when... Penn State tied the series at 17-all, um, said of the Landgrant Trophy, we take a lot of pride in keeping the most beautiful trophy in college football home. It's beautiful because of how unorthodox it is. It's cool. It's <laughs> like your great uncle made it in a workshop with leftover parts. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the funny thing. Is I wonder that's if exactly did, what yeah. happened. I wonder if he actually knew the history of, like, the literal history of 
George Perlis got bored one day, and by that point, I don't know if he was on the board of trustees or if he was running or what, but he just made this trophy. It's like, oh, great, George. Fuck, are we gonna do with this? I give, give <laughs> oh, it to Penn State. Oh. Penn State beat oh, the football wow. team. Tell happens. Give it to Joe Paterno. He'll think it's cool as hell. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure that's how it started. By the way, is just like the combined seniority of Perlis and and Joe Paterno was like. I just picture Paterno being like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> and then the trophy is born. All right, so <laughs> we put it off long enough. Let's get now to the game. Where for the first time in damn near a decade, Michigan comes out on top. Final score, Ohio State 27, Michigan 42. I can't... Michigan controlled this game throughout. Wire to wire, pretty much. Ohio State, I think, took a lead briefly in the second quarter, like 10-7 or something, but... Uh, Michigan, it never felt like Michigan was not in control. I So, few things here. First of all, I do think it mattered that this was the first meaningful road environment Ohio State had played in all year. And yes, I know they played road games, but nothing of this magnitude, not even close. They had a bunch of false starts in the first half. Right tackle Dewan Jones had a really difficult day, man. I think he had three false start penalties, just him. And he also, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson and Ojabo kicked Ohio State's tackles' asses all day. I didn't see that coming. I thought that this bookend pair for Ohio State was good enough to at least hold those guys at bay. He figured they'd make plays, but not, you know, completely be, I mean... Yeah, not Hutchinson with three sacks and a couple more hurries. Yeah, so so when you look at the yards here, Rent, it was 23 first downs for Ohio State to 24 for Michigan and... uh, the differences are in the, uh, the, you know, you have pretty similar total yardage disparities. The differences are 10 penalties for Ohio State, 2 for Michigan. Uh, yeah. Ohio State won the turnover battle 1-0, but Michigan, despite getting 24 first downs, faced only 8 third downs. Ohio State went 8 for 18. Michigan wasn't running very many third down plays because oh, the they ran for yeah. 7.2 yards per carry yeah. on 41 attempts. And, and Ohio and, State simply had no answer for their running game. And didn't we say last year that the or last week that the way that Michigan wins this game defensively, you have to bother Stroud check. Offensively, you got to possess the ball, control time possession, and run it efficiently. That felt that felt much more likely. I thought that this was probably going to be a higher scoring game. I mean, Michigan put their points up. And what I thought was that what what, what surprised me was that Ohio State wasn't able to run the ball worth a shit. No, and. It does. What was the total balance of the play calling? I don't have the box score right in front I mean, it, it, was, it was, let's see, 49 pass attempts to uh, 30 rush attempts, but I'm not and sure granted, how many of those are sacks. Yeah, granted, a good portion of the game Ohio State was trailing, so you get that, but again, these are wintry but conditions. You, and you have, you have Travion Henderson, too. I mean, yeah. You, that, that's a guy that can, you give him a clean hold, he can take it to the house. And he's a perfectly capable receiver himself, so. And, I mean, the other thing is, you know, there were a couple of notable drops, like Jackson Smith and Jigba dropped a couple balls. The other guy, I only saw the first half, and then I had to leave the bar to go to the game. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing else to say for it except that Ohio State's had a suspect defense for a few years now. Since uh, since Jeff Halfley left to go to Boston College, they've not had an organizational structure on defense that maximizes their talent. It's also got to be said that on the individual player level, Despite having guys with similar recruiting pedigrees, we've commented this on, on this before, just because you get the top defensive end in a given class doesn't mean that he's going to be as good as Chase Young. Absolutely. Players of that caliber don't come along every class, and so 
they've had some guys that frankly have not stepped into that role left behind by players behind them. They still, again, because of all the NFL draft picks they put out in the secondary, they're crazy young in the back end. And, and as a result, fun. since the line, since the defensive line wasn't elite this year, the linebackers really got exposed for the Buckeyes. Yes, and that was definitely true in this game. There's been a couple other games where there's been some some hints that maybe that would be the case, but their offense usually puts so much pressure on the opponent that that doesn't really matter as much because teams have to pass, and Ohio State knows they can tee off on that. There's less to defend. Their run defense hasn't really been an issue as much. Um, so... Just one for nearly a decade, Ohio State thought they had finally transcended Big Ten football so much that these regular season games were formality and they don't even belong in this league anymore because they're not playing Big Ten football anymore. Well, guess what happened? You threw it 49 times, Michigan threw it 20 times, and you lost. And they t- not only lost, got your asses beat. Um, so, hey, look, that's what, what that's what we say when we say, in the weight room. In the community, Michigan coach Brady Hoke going on the practice field. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and and so, now, so both Michigan and Brady Hoke are 11-1. and one. Everybody's out here living their best lives, man. And it's a weird position to be in as a Michigan State fan. Because it's like, on the one hand, any success for the Michigan program is not good for me in a sense. And I understand that. But as I wasn't really kidding earlier when I said, "What are you gonna say to me? My team beat you." <laughs> so I don't, I don't like Michigan. I had, uh, I had an uncharacteristically large bet on Ohio State to win the conference that has now evaporated. Uh-huh. Um, which you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's going to affect my financial situation or anything. I sure. don't. I'm not. You know, might affect your liquidity in betting this week's games, though. For example. Well, also my insurance, my last two insurance bets on Illinois. Uh, Kansas State in basketball and Northwestern football uh, didn't pay off, which makes me just delighted. <laughs> <laughs> delighted and also broke. Uh, oh my god, I also <laughs> had Oklahoma winning the Big 12. <laughs> wow. Everything's coming up, Steve. Uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting. I wonder what the outcome from here matters. Like I, said, I, I think this win and... The turnaround they've had this season to this point kind of makes the postseason moot. But man, I don't think you want to take getting to this point for granted. I know there's been there's been some headlines that it's a new era. This is just the beginning. Harbaugh said, thinking that this is going to be. I mean, how long has it been since Ohio State was really pissed off at Michigan? I know last season there was a thing. Oh, we're going to hang a hundred on them because of off season talk and all that. How long has it been since something on the field really pissed Ohio State off in the direction of Michigan? Like. Assuming that this means you now have the upper hand in a rivalry you've won, what, three out of the last 20 or something like that? Yeah. I, I think you want to cash these chips in while you've got them, win that Big Ten championship, go to the playoff, and look, if you win you the Big Ten championship... You never know when you're going to... Ha- you, you always think you're going to have these opportunities in spades. Right. I remember thinking that six years ago, and now here we are, and I'm thrilled to have a shot at the Fiesta Bowl. So... I remember thinking that I was... I remember thinking that I didn't have to beg my parents to uh, give me more money to go to the Rose Bowl my freshman year because there was going to be opportunities to go to bowl games. And now here I am. I'm not even unhappy that we didn't make a bowl for the eighth time in ten years anymore. I'm just... Yeah. I just don't so even I, expect it. Well, this is, this is the, the point that I'm getting at here is I think earlier you mentioned that Michigan might be playing with house money. I disagree. Yeah. 
Because they certainly ought to beat Iowa. And then if they do, there's a good chance they get matched up with Cincinnati and, and the Cotton I actually get this because of kind of you know what happened with Illinois basketball last year, where it's like, yes, I know I should be happy to be here, but because it feels like we're in such rarefied air, God, we got to make the most of this. Yeah, you've gotten this far. The summit's right there. Like you don't don't assume it. don't assume that you're going to be back here again anytime. You know, soon. or if Michigan football loses to Iowa, then they can go ahead and hang their "We Beat Ohio State" banner. <laughs> All right. So speaking of postseason and eligibility and everything, we're going to wrap up this recap episode with a rough stab at what the bowl matchups will be, and we're not actually going to go through all the scenarios because it would take another hour. I think it actually breaks down relatively simply. There are basically three tiers of bowl-eligible teams in the Big Ten. First one is your 10-win-plus teams. That's Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan State. The Big Ten is assured of getting three New Year's Six bowl bids, including a playoff spot if that's on the table. I think whether... if So if Michigan wins the conference championship game, they go to the playoff, and then presumably Michigan State and Ohio State would get other New Year's bids. Ohio State probably gets the Rose Bowl, Michigan State the Fiesta. If Iowa wins the conference championship game, they get the Rose Bowl because I don't think they're making a playoff at 11-2. and two. It's possible, but unlikely. And then... Do they, I'm sorry, I do not see Alabama on their uniforms. Right, not so they're not getting the benefit of the doubt. So Iowa probably then gets the Rose Bowl. That most likely kicks Michigan and Ohio State into the other New Year's Six games because I'll believe that Michigan State gets the benefit of the doubt in that situation when I see it. Probably means MSU falls to the Citrus, which means on paper, I ought to be cheering for Michigan this week. It ain't going to come out that way, but that's probably in my team's best interest. But anyway... Those four teams account for three New Year's Six spots plus the Citrus Bowl, which is the top spot after the New Year's Bowls. Then you've got a second tier, which is this group of Wisconsin, Minnesota, Purdue. They're all at eight and four. I don't know exactly how the selection process works there. I think it mostly depends on who's been to which bowl more recently. But those three teams figure to slot in with the Outback, the Las Vegas, and the Music City in some order. Do you want to know something kind of fucked up? Tell me I'm wrong. If Oregon hadn't beaten Ohio State, Michigan might have just punched the Buckeyes' ticket to the college football playoff by beating them. Because they'll be stuck with one loss, and they had pull inertia. The 2017 Bama effect. It's possible. Yeah. Because they, they don't have to play a conference title game. Yeah. It would depend on how the other conference title games play out. Basically. Speaking, of course, of, of Oregon... Uh, at long last, all the sandbagging that Stanford has done is going to pay off because Oregon gets a shot at Utah, but there's just no way they're going to let him in with a loss to Stanford and a loss to Utah, yeah. even if they beat Utah again. It's unfortunate that Stanford couldn't stop sandbagging long enough to beat Notre Dame, who we now have to worry about sneaking in over Cincinnati. Yeah, so I mean, if Oregon, if Oregon, play, if Oregon beats Utah this time around, you'd have an Oregon-Ohio State matchup in the Rose Bowl as a pretty likely outcome. <laughs> oh, boy. Healthy I think Thibodeau. Yeah, and I don't know if I think Flo was out for the season, but in any case, that, that between that and so now we'll get into the last tier of games here. So yeah, man. going going go back further, to 2017 and tell me Bennett Williams is going to take his team to the Rose Bowl in 2021. Yeah, baby, <laughs> let's go! Ill, yeah. <laughs> uh, the last couple teams in the bowl order are pretty easy to peg because we're furthest we're further down here. And they have different records. Penn State probably gets the pinstripe. Maryland, the guaranteed rate bowl, which I think used to be the copper bowl. 
most projections I've looked at would therefore have the quick lane bid going to a non-Big Ten team because the conference has three teams in the New Year's Six. So there you go. Really the only intrigue I think is who ends up going to those New Year's Six games kind of depends on who wins the conference title game. But Iowa, as the Big Ten's conference title loser, I think in the past they've ensured that that team falls no lower than the Citrus. See, for example, Northwestern with like four losses going to that game. So that's of course, like, yeah. you know, I actually think that I have a pretty reasonable rationale through for Iowa, even though they suck. Has the Big Ten West ever won the championship game? Uh, depends on whether you want to go back and count the legends. No, the I'm era. saying the Big Ten <laughs> the West, West has they have never no. won the championship game. Correct. So, hmm? <laughs> yeah. I thought we were talking about how positive it is to break these, uh, these... You know, they break these kind of chains, you know, break down the, uh, the, the the barriers to the landlord's place. We've killed a lot of a lot of the nobility this week. Maybe we go ahead and put send one more to the headsman. Eh? Your source for big and talk. It's off tackle. Empire!